0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: Hi, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to church. Whether you're here in this building with us or you're, you're joining us online, uh, I just invite you to stand wherever you are, if you can, and just worship our God with us. Holy Father, we are so grateful that uh, we can just come before you at any point uh, and just praise your holy name, Lord, that because of your son, Jesus, we have a a direct connection with you and we can just bring our praises and our gratitude before your throne. We thank you for that. Amen. You may be seated and uh... we're actually right now just going to enjoy an, a video from the children's ministry in Sunseekers.
2: Hi kids! Welcome to this week's Sunseekers Summer Series Ministry Minute. Still a mouthful. I'm Josh And I am so glad to be back this week. Today we're going to be talking all about the promises of God.
3: That's right. Have you ever made a promise and broken it? Put up your hands at home if you've ever broken a promise.
2: I know for sure I have, pretty sure we all have. Whether it was intentional or not, sometimes we just break our promises.
3: Hey Josh, why don't we give the kids at home some examples?
2: That sounds like a great idea.
3: Okay. So let's say that you promise to clean up your room before supper, but you get caught up playing Minecraft and you forget.
2: You broke that promise. Let's say now that you promise your mom and dad that you will listen to and obey your teachers. Like me. Uh, But then your parents find out that you are not
3: such a good listener in class. You broke that promise. Now, let's say your mom and dad promised to take you to the fam- take you and the family to the pool, but then something came up and they had to cancel.
2: They broke their promise. Okay.
3: You know, sometimes
2: we make promises that are just plain hard to keep.
3: Sometimes things come up and plans need to change. Sometimes we can be too selfish and we just don't feel like cleaning our room, even though we said we would.
2: But God keeps all of his promises.
3: The Bible is full of God's promises. Imagine trying to break God's promises. Which do you think is easier to break? Our promises or God's promises? So here's a stack of paper that we're gonna that's going to represent all of God's promises. Josh, why don't you try to tear up and break up this stack of papers? I'm wearing my Superman
2: shirt. This should be a breeze. Okay. Need to I can't. I can't, I can't. It's just too
3: thick. That's right. We can never break God's promises. God keeps his promises and God is faithful. From the very beginning of the Bible, God promised to send into the world a Savior, Jesus Christ. He made this promise a thousand years before Jesus even came.
2: Jesus is the one who reveals God's promises, fulfills God's promises, and enables us to claim God's promises too.
3: 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ.
2: So when we read our Bible and learn about the promises that God has made, we can trust them and God doesn't break his promises. Just like, much as I hate to admit it, can't break this paper, the stack of
3: paper. That's right. Well, thank you so much for listening today, kids.
2: Have a great week. Can't wait to see you next week. Bye. Bye.
1: I just love those uh, those Sunseeker minutes, um, especially just the, the. I think I think it's so wonderful that. The biblical truths that they, they teach are so they seem so simple, and yet when when we look at our own lives, they are just what we need. I don't know, just what I need, anyways. And that, um, yeah. So I want to welcome you guys here here to church. Like I say, whether you're sitting in a pew or sitting at home on a couch or wherever wherever you are on a bus on your phone, um, and I just want to want to let you know uh, that I've been praying for you. Um, it's, it's hard to do church in this new way, and I know for a lot of people, myself included, it's felt, it's felt at, at times a little bit like a desert, um, where it's just different, and it's harder to engage, and it's harder to feel the fellowship and the community of, of church family. Um, but I'm also, I'm also reminded of how many times, how many times God's chosen people had to make these journeys through the, through the desert. In unknown circumstances with no necessary end in sight, but just a land that I will show you, and how they were still able to stay faithful and just trust in god and that 's one thing i want to I want to really just encourage you, everyone, including myself to just to just do do right now is that no matter where you 're at, no matter how many weeks it 's been since you 've spent time in the Word, no matter where you're at right now with your heart, how discouraged you may be, how joyful you may be i just want to I just want to encourage you to bring just a simple realization that God is sovereign. God is in control, and he's a loving God with a plan. And so that plan, of course, includes, included the f- sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for all of us so that we can have a relationship with him. And that's a, that's a place that always brings me to a point of rejoicing. And I think rejoicing is the heart of worship in just God's truth. And so I just want to ask you, if you can, just stand up. Um and just rejoice joyfully before our father in worship. Father, we just thank you that as your children that is true now as it has always been and and it is the only thing that matters. Lord, that because of your son we have salvation and we can call ourselves children of God. So, holy father, I just pray that that you 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 look at our hearts and holy spirit help us to just raise up our brokenness where we are in joy knowing that that our Heavenly Father calls us children and that He loves us. If you have your Bibles with you, we're, we're going to read the, uh, the scripture for the day uh, with Chris and Kelly Cram.
4: Reading from Genesis chapter 46 verses 1 to 7. So Israel set out with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Genesis chapter 47, verses 27 to 28. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years.
5: A reading from 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 31. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord.
0: Thank Chris and Kelly for reading the scripture to us, uh, for us this morning. And uh, what a powerful passage that uh, scripture is when we Realize the time that we're in, and how easy it is for uh, humanity to boast about things, and then a pandemic comes, and uh, we are humbled before God, and, and uh, we await uh, the outcome of this thing. And so, I just want to take a moment to uh, give you an update as far as our church family is going. Uh, as I've mentioned in the past, past we have a task force that is working on on things. Now, we know that um, Dr. Rusin could stand up and share uh, news with us in Manitoba that changes the plans we're making, but I want you to know that on September the 13th, we hope to have more people in the building, and uh, we want to go to a third capacity if that's possible, and you would be signing up online. Uh, This week, you will get more communication about that from the task force, and basically, when you sign on, you are signing on, saying that you have, you have read the policy, you've, uh, you haven't got symptoms and so on, and you're thereby agreeing to uh, attend with, with that safety measure. And then when you get here, you're gonna be asked to, uh, to come in and wear a mask until you get to your seat where you can uh, take that mask off if you wish. That is the plan we have right now, but as I said, we could see that change in the next couple of weeks. So I want to give you a heads up that on August 30th, next Sunday, and on September the 6th, the following Sunday, uh, ushers and greeters and people that are involved in our whole Sunday morning program are going to be on site. They're going to be doing exactly what we will expect everybody that comes on September 13th to do, and they'll be in training. And so uh, Just want to continue the trajectory of looking toward actually having uh, more people in this building on Sundays come this September, amen. I just want to share a few prayer needs as well this morning as we uh, just take a moment to come before the Lord. Uh, Sheldon Hildebrand's father passed away on Wednesday. His service is actually uh, in Winkler this afternoon and uh, Sheldon and Janelle have asked for prayer and uh, that the Lord would meet them in this time. I also want to give you an update that uh, Pastor Kevin Claussen's dad, his condition is deteriorating and uh, they have asked for prayer. Kevin has asked that uh, you pray for him, his mom, his sister, as well, uh, as well as his dad for peace, for comfort, and for guidance during this time of some decisions that have to be made. And so uh, why don't we come to the Lord now and let's pray together. Father, we thank you that uh, we can have... Uh, you to turn to, Lord, you, you say in your word that well-known psalm, you, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Lord, we don't need to be in want. We can have you as our shepherd. And you lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And Lord, we thank you for that, that we can trust you to lead us as we're talking this morning about guidance. Lord, we thank you that we can trust you to lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we don't need to fear evil for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Lord, we thank you that these are promises that we can count on as we, we heard this morning in the children's time. You never break your promises, O oh God. And so thank you for your promise to be with us whatever and wherever we are. And we lift up to you, the Hildebrandt family, that this afternoon their memorial service will be a fitting time to remember their father and that you might comfort them, oh God. We think of the Clausens today and we ask you, please, would you surround Kevin, his mom, his sister, uh, the kids, as well as his dad. Lord, we pray that you would surround them with your love. Give them your comfort and peace and guide them. God, we thank you for their faith in Jesus that gives us assurance of eternal life. Lord, we we commit to you this season that we're in as we make plans. We pray for the task force that is getting us ready for for the the, the fall programming. We pray, God, that this building will be used for your glory in all kinds of ways all week long. We pray that uh, we'll feel comfortable and be safe to open our homes more to ministry as well. We pray that our neighborhoods will will sense the presence of Christ more as we get to know our neighbors better. Lord, we ask you to help us in the coming season of ministry to to be able to do all we can to leverage this moment for the glory of your name that Jesus Christ, you might be uh, preeminent and you might be known more because of this pandemic than if it had never come. Oh, God, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of the changes We ask you, Lord, show yourself to our world and make us as your people, those who call Christ Lord, make us fit to be good ambassadors for you. As we open up your word this morning and we think about this idea of how you lead us, how you take us on a journey, how you guide our steps, how you take us past the crossroads of life, And help us make decisions when there's a fork in the road. How you lead us through difficult times and in good times. Lord, we pray that your word will come alive. Though it is an ancient text, let it live today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we uh, jump into our Genesis study, I want to give you just a brief commercial that we are going to be studying the book of James this fall. And I'm excited about it. It's uh, this sermon series is called The Evidence of a Genuine Faith, Pursuing What Matters to God. And the book of James was written to first century believers that desperately needed to reflect to their society what God what's important to God and we want to be those kinds of people in our society and in our generation. And so I hope that you'll study along with us and uh, not only on Sundays but in perhaps a Bible study or a life group or a discussion group that we're planning to make known. And uh, so as we begin in Genesis, um, we want to... Go back to the text that was read for us by Chris and Kelly in chapter 46. If you have your Bibles open, you can look there. And I want to begin and end my sermon today with a quote or some quotes from a book that I have been reading by Elizabeth Elliot called God's Guidance, Finding His Will for Your Life. And uh, this morning, let me just read to you a text uh, that he, she writes He says, I have found in the Bible plenty of evidence that God has guided people. I find, too, assurance that he is willing to guide me. He has been at it for a long time. His hand reaches toward me. I have only to take it. And I hope that you find encouragement in words like that this morning and as we open up the Bible, that God indeed is is so eager to guide your life. That he's alive. The scriptures encourage us. In fact, I believe that the entire Bible has been given to us in the record that it has been given to encourage us to follow God by faith. That's exactly what we read in Romans 15 verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So that's why God gave us his word. That's why we're studying the narrative in Genesis so that we might have hope and encouragement. Encouragement is so important. Some of you, of course, all of us will need encouragement more at certain seasons of our lives than at other seasons. You have lived long enough already to know that there are times when you go through seasons of life that you need more encouragement than at other times in your faith. Maybe you woke up this morning and, and you came to church or tuned in to church and you knew today was a day when you needed hope. You needed some word of encouragement and hope. The realization that, that, uh, that you can't just continue on in this low-grade spirit of, of uh, depression or, or discouragement that you are facing. You need to not give up. You need to have encouragement. Don't despair today. You're listening to this sermon right now whenever you're listening to it because God wants you to know he loves you, because he wants you to not despair. He wants you to know he's in your corner. He wants you to know he knows everything that you're facing like no one else knows, looking at you from the outside in. He is looking at you from the inside out. God wants to encourage you today. You need to know that there is a brighter future than the present or the past has been. It's available for, for you because God is with you. You need to know today that you have an encourager inside of you if you're a Christian. He is called the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside of you to encourage you, to build you up in your faith. And so the reason that God gave us his word, the Bible, is because I believe actually that we have way more in common with the people in this book than we think we realize we do. I think we have way more in common with these people in this scripture than, than we realize. I remember when I was going through seminary, and Pat and I would go to Spring Hill Penitentiary for a ministry to prison uh, inmates, and the guy that was leading, the professor that was leading the program called Kairos Marathons, was Dr. Charlie Taylor. You have probably heard Alf Bell talk about Charlie Taylor. Charlie Taylor's, one of his famous quotes was, we're all more alike than we are different. That's what's true about the people in the scriptures that we're studying, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We're all more alike than we are different. And so you can take the Bible and an ancient text, thousands of years old, and you can study the life of Jacob and you can glean from that text something that will be an encouragement for you in the 21st century with whatever you are going through because God the Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture, is also God the Holy Spirit, who is the author, the finisher of your faith, Jesus is the one that is the author and perfecter of your faith. He knows how to lead you. He knows what you're going through. He knows how to guide you. And so, do not give up. And though you have not had waters parted for you, or manna coming down from heaven, or pillars of cloud by day and fire by night, you are being led by God if you will awaken your heart to Him. And I'm not just saying in natural ways and the supernatural is all left for Scripture. uh Uh-uh. We don't believe that. You are being led in supernatural ways by the hand of God. You need to awaken to the way that God is leading you. I want to say three things this morning about God that are so important for us to know. These are three things that are so important for us to know about God. Three truths that... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph knew about God. Three things that Moses, David, Elijah, and Elisha knew about God. I want to tell you three things this morning that Peter, Andrew, James, and John knew about God. They learned about Jesus, these three things. I want to tell you that these three things, St. Augustine and Martin Luther and George Whitfield, Jonathan Wesley knew about God. Fanny Crosby knew about God, these three things. Amy Carmichael, Corey Tenboom, Charles Spurgeon they knew these three things about God. And they counted on God to be faithful in these three ways. They looked for God's guidance in these three ways. A.W. Tozer. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Ravi Zacharias, and J.I. Packer. They knew these things about God. And we could go on and on with a list of people who knew these things about God, these three truths, and they counted on God to be consistent this way. Living or dead, we could uh, count many, many people. So do you want to know what those three things are? Nobody in this room seems to want to know what these three things are. Yeah, okay. Okay, number one, God always fulfills his promises to bless his people. I want you to see the word that's underlined. God always fulfills his promises to bless his people. Secondly, God often repeats himself to make his word clear. Again, notice the word that's underlined, often. And thirdly, God seldom follows conventional means to accomplish his will. I believe that all the people I mentioned and many more knew these three things about God by the time they finished their days on earth. And I believe that in the Scripture today, we're going to look at these things in, the, in Jacob and his sons, and then at the end, we're going to apply it to our lives. So let's take a look at the Scripture <clears throat> that we're looking at, and we'll begin with talking about how God always fulfills his promises to bless his people. To understand the significance of what is in chapter 46 and 47, which was read this morning to us, we need to remember the promise that was made way back in chapter 15 of Genesis to Abraham. Now, God met Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That's when God told him that he is going to bless him and that through him all nations on earth will be blessed And that he was going to build him into a mighty nation. That started in chapter 12. But in chapter 15, God revealed more details about how he's going to fulfill his promise. In chapter 15, we read... Um, More detail, verse 13 of chapter 15 says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. The promise was made to Abraham. This is Jacob's grandfather, and it concerns the country of Egypt in a couple of weeks, we're going to close the book of Genesis. We're going to finish our Bible study in Genesis, this expository series. And we will, when we close the book of Genesis, we will leave Joseph and all of his family in the land of Goshen, where they're shepherds in the land of Egypt. We're going to leave them there. We're going to close Genesis and we're going to leave them there. And there they are, Joseph, because of God's providence is providing for them through these years of famine. And uh, Jacob's going to die shortly after that, and, and, and there it is. They're, they're left in the in, end in Genesis in, in Goshen. And then if you, if you take your Bible and you go to the very next page in the book of Exodus, by the time you get to the next page, 400 years have passed. And you open up the book and you're reading about a guy named Moses And how God, in those 400 years, that 70 sons of Jacob and that little family of Jacob, has grown into this vast nation. And now the pharaohs have died and lived and died, and now this new king of Egypt, he doesn't really care for these Israelites. He's a little worried about them. They could overpower them. They force them into slavery. They're making bricks and buildings. And they're under oppression. And so we see that God fulfilling his promise through Abraham and and Isaac and then Jacob in chapter 46. It goes all the way to Exodus when we read about Moses. But 400 years have passed by before God fulfills the promise. And he told Abraham hundreds of years earlier, Your people are going to be sojourners in a land for 400 years. They're going to be oppressed, but don't worry. I I got this. I'm still going to bring you out. Incredible. Incredible. And so in trip chapter 46, we see that Jacob, he's en route to Egypt. And we read in chapter 46 that he stops in a place called Beersheba. Now it's an interesting place because Abraham, his father, stopped there in chapter 21, we can read about it, and Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. I wonder, that, I wonder if Jacob visited his grandpa's tree when he got to Beersheba. And it says in chapter 26 of the same text that, that Isaac also went to Beersheba and he built an altar there and he worshipped the Lord. I wonder, I wonder if Jacob found the altar that his dad had built and he, he worshipped there. And in the text that we're reading in chapter 46, it says that in verse 3, I'm, God says, I'm the God of your father. God appears to Jacob in a vision in the night. And he says, I'm your father's God. Don't be afraid. Go down to Egypt. Now, this is interesting because Isaac was told not to go to Egypt And Jacob is now told, you go to Egypt. Don't return to the promised land yet. I've got things to do with Israel in Egypt before you get to the promised land. Have you ever thought to yourself that the agenda that God has for your life has you off in other places before you get to the final place, the blessed place, the promised place, the thing that you're waiting for? Have you ever wondered that God has an agenda? He's got to do something in you, just like he had to do something in Jacob's sons. Jacob's family becomes this mighty nation of Israel. They're called the children of Israel now. God's purposes will not be thwarted. He is fulfilling his plans. He's a faithful God. He will fulfill his promises. It's hard to understand, though, when you're waiting. I can imagine during those 400 years why... Many Israelites are wondering, God, why? God, why? Why are you waiting? They didn't have a Bible yet to read, but they they knew from the priesthood that, that God had promised through Abraham to deliver them. Why? Why are we still here? You might be asking that this morning. God is faithful to fulfill his promises God always fulfills his promises to bless his people. 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says God always for all the promises of God find their sorry that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but he is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God is fulfilling his purposes. You know, it's interesting we are given another perspective on why those 400 years were necessary back in Genesis 15. Later on, when he's talking to Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, it says in verse 16, they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, who are the Amorites? The Amorites were the people of Canaan, <clears throat> the promised land that God had given to Abraham and, and the wickedness of the Amorites had not yet come to its full measure. What was God doing for 400 years? He was being merciful and patient with a godless people to see if they would repent and turn to Him. Now they didn't. They didn't. And so later on, when, when Joshua takes the land, God's instrument of di- discipline and judgment comes through the Israelites. But we see another angle to this incredible patience of God. He wasn't just doing something in Israel for 400 years. He was doing something in the Canaanites. Don't ever think that God's only doing one thing at a time. Friends, he's always about his business. Let's move on to the second point, which is that God often repeats himself to make his word clear. Have you noticed in this text, in chapter 46, verse 2, that when God addresses Jacob in Beersheba, he uses his name twice. He says, Jacob, and then he clears his throat and says it again. No, no, he says says, Jacob, Jacob. <clears throat> Have you noticed how many times God repeats himself and uh, I, think, I think we've seen it all through the Genesis account. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but when we were back in the creation account, there was a creation account in chapter 1, and there's a creation account in chapter 2. Why was that? God likes to repeat himself. And, uh, and in fact, <clears throat> throughout, throughout the Genesis account, we have seen repetition several times. We can't take time to go into them, but places and names and events and stories. I mean, the fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have visited the same Beersheba place. Repetition. God likes to repeat Himself. Why is it that we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I mean, come on, we got four accounts of the life of Christ with huge percentage of the material exactly like the others. God likes to repeat Himself to get His message across. And so when God repeats Himself in His Word, it is for emphasis. Even this morning I was reading in my quiet time, I was reading in Galatians, and I was intrigued with chapter 1 between verses 6 and 9 of Galatians. Paul repeats himself twice. He says, if anybody preaches a gospel other than the gospel that we preach to you, Galatians, let him be a curse. Let me repeat myself. And he says it again. God likes to repeat himself. I've been intrigued with uh, the fact that God often repeats someone's name twice. Have you ever seen that in Scripture? I kind of did a study of that, when God calls your name twice, and I found seven. I found seven in all of Scripture. <clears throat> and it's interesting that the seven times that God repeats someone's personal name twice, Abraham, Abraham. It was, about, it was at the moment when he was about to kill his own son, Isaac. And it was a key moment when God saw that Abraham was fully committed to him. Key pivotal time in his spiritual journey. In in Jacob's life right here, this is a moment when he sees that he's ready to go down to Egypt. Not because there's a famine. Yeah, he's going because there's a famine and Joseph was sent ahead of time. But no, he's going now because God said, go. He's obeying. And it's now turning from this Little family of Jacob, 12 sons into the 12 tribes of Israel. We see in Moses' life, remember that in chapter 3 of Exodus? When is his call? Moses, Moses? The burning bush. He's, he's done being a shepherd. He's going back to Egypt to lead Israel out of Egypt, just like Jacob was led into Egypt 400 years earlier. And then there's Samuel. Remember little Samuel, the boy. God speaks to him in the tabernacle. And um, that's a huge turning point in history as Samuel becomes a priest and prophet for Israel. Martha, Martha, Jesus says. And then Simon, Simon, Peter, when he's told, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Do you see the pivotal times in in each of these? And then finally, the uh, Apostle Paul when he was called Saul. Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to resist, God. When are you going to stop resisting me, Jesus said to Paul. And when are you going to submit to me? When are you going to follow me? And he turned. He was converted and Saul. Paul became the biggest missionary of all time in the expansion of the early church. And we could go on and we could talk about other times when, when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Eloi, Eloi, my father, my dad, my God, my God. Or when he wept over Jerusalem, 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 how I longed to gather you into my arms. Or when he makes a warning in Matthew 7. Remember that? Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. You see, when, whenever repeat, repetition occurs, it's not just for emphasis. It's highlighting an important truth. It's highlighting an important event in history. And so, over and over again, we see this. In, in the New Testament, how many times do we see Jesus say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, or you know what the word is? The word is amen. Amen, amen. What is he saying that for? He's saying, well, if you're listening right now and you hear me say amen twice, you better really listen. God often repeats himself to make his word clear. I want to ask you has he repeated himself to you? Do you find yourself going through the same experience? Do you find yourself bumping up against the same brick wall? Do you you see some cyclical repetition patterns in your life, in your journey, in your experience? Is God trying to say something more clearly to you? Are you listening? God often repeats himself when he wants to make his word clear. When Pat and I were praying about resigning from pastoral ministry in Thunder Bay. We were restless. We were wondering what God was up to. And in that particular summer, everywhere we went, God repeated himself with Genesis chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 11, the same text where God called Abraham and said, Go to the land that I will show you. I mean, it was—it was—we'd it was visit a church, the preacher'd preach on it. We'd turn on the radio, somebody'd be talking about it. We'd open our devotional, the scripture was there. We couldn't deny it. We kept praying, "What are you saying, God?" We got back and we resigned, and we waited on the Lord. And within a little while, we got a call to go to Bolivia. God repeats Himself to make Himself clear. Let's move on to the last point that I want to share this morning, and that is that God seldom follows conventional means to accomplish his will. If we think back in the series on Genesis, we see this, don't we? We see that God is not bound by traditions or cultural norms. Though God is the, the inventor, the creator of culture, and he loves culture, and he loves traditions, he's not bound by them, and he often Will, will break traditions. He'll seldom follow conventional ways. And so, <clears throat> just to, just to men- mention a few, and we could go on and on with this one, but why did Abraham and Sarah get to be so old before they could have a child? Does that seem conventional to you? No. Because God was saying, in Hebrews we are told, they had to, they had to realize that they were as good as dead, and then there's no boasting. Now God gets all the glory, and Abraham and Sarah get all the joy. <clears throat> Choosing Jacob to be the child that was blessed is a, a real backwards thing. Esau was born first. And having Judah, the fourth son in line, not Reuben, the firstborn, or even Joseph, the hero, not chosen in the line of Christ, that's interesting. That's unconventional. And allowing Joseph to be sold as a slave to get to Egypt for the saving of the family. What's all that about? I mean, couldn't we do this a little easier? No. It's unconventional. Having them settle in Goshen itself is interesting because the Egyptians despised shepherds. That was low life. And yet God in his wisdom put them in Goshen where they could raise their flocks, be separate from the Egyptians, and have their worship as well. Undisturbed. And when Joseph, you'll see in chapter 48, when Joseph presents his two sons to his dying father to bless them, what what does Jacob do? He says, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh, the oldest one, Ephraim, the second. What does Jacob do? Right hand of blessing, left hand, less blessing. What does he do? He blesses Ephraim. Joseph takes his hand and moves them. He said, no, Dad, no. No, Jacob says, this is the way it's gotta be. God... God likes unconventional ways. And there may be ways in your life, if you look back and see how you're being led, God may have some unconventional ways that he's led you. He's taught you lessons that you maybe wouldn't learn otherwise. Elizabeth Elliot says, the Bible contains thousands of promises, a great number of which concern guidance. Nearly every one of the 66 books has some word about how God led someone or how he promises to lead those who want to be led. And that leads us back to us. Do you want to be led? Do you want to be the pilot or the co-pilot? And so let's take a moment and in your sermon notes, uh, if you took a bulletin this morning here, and if you're at home and you want to go to the weekly update uh, on the web, uh, web page, you will find, you'll be able to look at the sermon notes and I've, I've got uh, several notes from the book that uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Elizabeth Elliott sorry, wrote and um, these are, are printed in that if you wanted to take a look but I want to just share three with you before we conclude. Jesus, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So let's take a look at a few thoughts on guidance from Elizabeth Elliot. First one on timing I wanted to read to you. God never showed me his will until the time came. I realized that nearly all of my trouble finding out the will of God came because I wanted it too soon. I like to plan. I like to have things mapped out well in advance and uncertainty of any sort puts me on the edge. Perhaps it is for this very reason God has often asked me to wait until The last minute can you identify with that she has some really good wisdom to reflect on i'm only going to read three but there's about a dozen in your sermon notes insert and online if you take a look god calls us by name we may not hear an audible voice but we will find that the lord knows how to call us he knows the best way to get our attention And if we are ready to listen or to be shown, we will hear or see whatever it is he has chosen as his means. And then finally, the human agents. God guides his people always in relationship to one another like a flock. This is perhaps one of the most important things to remember when we are looking for personal guidance. We ought to look first of all to those with whom we have some special relationship I share those simply to whet your appetite to take a look at the insert in the bulletin the yellow page or to go on our web page click on the weekly update you'll see the sermon notes there and I would challenge you I would encourage you at this season when you're getting ready to shift gears from August into a brand new year September uh, what does life look like for you Are you looking for God's guidance? Do you want to be led? Then take some time. Take an hour or two, quietly alone. Read through some of this counsel from an aged, wise woman, a saint in Christ Jesus, and see if some of it has a resonance with you. And if you find that there are one or two spots that seem to just resonate with you, would you take that and ask God, what do you want me to do in response? And then finally, would you take that as well and share it with one other Christian friend that you trust and pray together about what it might mean? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. I thank you for being so faithful that you lead us. We sang it earlier, he leadeth me, oh, blessed thought. Lord, uh, we look back on our lives and we can see your leading. It's more difficult to see it in the moment now. Help us to trust you that you're leading us. Help us to not only trust you, but entrust others that we love into your care. Help us to trust you with them. Help us to trust you with our future. Oh Lord, there's many things. We pray, help us, oh God. Thank you that you speak to us and we pray that we'll listen in Jesus' name.